Hello and welcome to the back page, a video games podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, we're also joined by Catherine Castle again, someone you may or may not know. Um, so, <laughs> Catherine, thank you so much for joining us again. It's, um, it's a delight to have you. Thank you for having me again. It's a pleasure to be back. Yeah. So since we last spoke to you, you've been promoted, right? You have a, a new job at Rock Shotgun. Yes, I've moved up in the world. I'm now, I, I, was, I was the hardware editor. Now I'm the editor in chief. That's quite a kind of like a trajectory. <laughs> Soon you'll be like CEO. Um, yeah. You know. <laughs> so yeah, I'm wearing the big boss shoes now, which is quite it's quite a different thing from being just a hardware editor. But I'm enjoying yeah. it. It's been good fun. Yeah, you get to panic about what's going up on weekends, which is the um, burden of all editor in chiefs of websites. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, that's good. Um, no, but congratulations and um, thank you so much thank for coming you. on here. We've um, basically just been trying to figure out a way to get you on here that didn't require waiting for a Final Fantasy anniversary. <laughs> so, you know, I'm really glad you could join us. So in this episode, we we thought we'd start a new kind of like micro series, as it were, a kind of like a recurring series we can do where we can bring in different guests and talk about different games, focusing specifically on indie games. Obviously, um, Catherine, working on Rock Paper Shotgun, you're kind of an expert. Uh, to start with you then, is the term indie games, is it just like a bit too vague these days? This conversation is very played out, but what does indie mean to you? Yeah, I mean, you know, how long is a piece of string? I mean, <laughs> we sort of have conversations about this all the time. The definition of it's always changing. You know, you've got quite large studios now who self-publish, like, are they indie? Is it size that negates you from being an indie developer? If you're a tiny studio, but you know, you get published by Nintendo or Microsoft, does that also prevent you from technically being an indie like I don't know it's, it's it's a really tricky one to draw the line at really sort of in, in in compiling my list I was like is this an indie game so oh no that was published by Nintendo you know that <laughs> this one was published by someone else who is you know like a, a kind of larger publisher I don't think you can really define it it's a tough one for sure so in this episode what we've basically done is we've all got five games each um that can you know fairly be described as indie games um, maybe people will contest that meaning a little bit I doubt most people will care it's just an excuse for some good game recommendations. Um, Matthew, how about you? Um, do you do you have anything in mind when it comes to indie? Is it is it like a kind of status of the developers thing, or is it kind of a genre thing as well? There definitely are like certain sort of genres where these things tend to kind of gather. In my head, I've always made the distinction in that traditionally it's independent, as in not published by an existing publisher. But since then, we've seen the rise of like indie publishing labels, which I think think still counts as indie, or they're indie spirited, and they're sort of indie in scale, whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is the problem with a lot of these things is that it's super vague, but you sort of you know it when you see it. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, I was going to say not published by EA, but then um, also EA has its own kind of like range of games that are by independent developers that they're publishing under a different label. So. Yeah. Everyone has a piece of the pie on this these days, right, Catherine? The EA Originals is like a is is a, is a great example of. But even you know, sort of like things in the eShop that you know that Nintendo get behind. Like you know, I really wanted to like include like Box Boy on my list of games, but it's like, oh no, <laughs> that's published by Nintendo, so maybe that doesn't fit the definition. Or you know, something like Ori and the Blind Forest, which is made by a really small team but published by Microsoft. It's an ever kind of moving goalposts situation, I think, with with indie games these days. But yeah, I think I think as Matthew was saying, like you definitely know one when you see it. I think it's more of a, a kind of gut feeling these days. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, then. Well, with that in mind, let's um, let's get into the recommendations then. So I suppose I'll ask a little bit about our starting points because the idea of this is that we're building up a canon of indie games. So um, different guests will come on, 
and we'll talk about uh, games they like. Me and Matthew will throw in suggestions too. In this episode, we're all throwing in five different suggestions, and um, we'll have like a medium post or something like that that we'll um, we'll keep updated with the different games that people suggest. So, I guess then, uh, Matthew, what was your starting point for picking five favourites for this um, this episode? Like you say, because I know this is this is the start of a of a bit of an ongoing mini project for us. I didn't necessarily feel the need to put in like my top five greatest of all time. I, mm. I sort of see this more as like a, a slightly more kind of casual list of recommendations. So I think they're all great. Obviously, all the things I'm recommending, I think you should play. Otherwise, I wouldn't I wouldn't put them on the list. But you know, I tried to mix it up. And I didn't just I didn't just go for my obvious favorite five games because you've probably already heard about them by listening to this podcast. So yeah, I I tried to kind of come up with a mix of stuff. I mean, actually, the, the the ones I've got for this episode do skew reasonably modern. I think they're mostly all the last five years. Like when I set out, I thought, oh, this will be a great opportunity to highlight some really good like eShop and Switch stuff, and maybe some like go into sort of downloadable stuff on consoles, so it isn't too PC centric. But I don't think I've well, some of these are on Switch, but I, I haven't got, I haven't dug particularly deep into like Wii U with this one, for example, um, which I probably will in future lists. How about you, Catherine? What was um, your process for you behind picking these games? So for my picks on this list, um, I, I kind of went more more for my you know all time favorite indie games, as, as I won't be you know <laughs> this is probably going to be my my one time appearance on this series. Um, <laughs> So yeah, these these games are, are quite dear to my heart. They're all quite modern. Probably, I think the oldest one I've got on my list is from 2015. How about you, Sam? How was it for you putting it together? Yeah, I think for me it was a combination of... I mean, a, a bunch of my, my picks are quite obvious, I think. Um, part of this for me is a kind of exercise of, like, if I get a bunch of recommendations from, you know, people I know and like, like yourselves, perhaps it'll encourage me to go down some more interesting routes um i i've you know i've heard of most of the games that are on both your lists and i think that there's a good mix of like i don't know a couple maybe there's like one or two obscure more obscure picks per you know per list and by obscure i mean you know just like moderately obscure as opposed to really really obscure mm. um but i think that's fine as a starting point and um i will say catherine this isn't like the um <laughs> this isn't necessarily the only time we'll invite you on here <laughs> so um, i appreciate you being as fatalistic as you have been, but, um, <laughs> This isn't like, uh, we didn't, I should explain to the listener, we didn't say to Catherine, this is it, this is your one chance, if, um, <laughs> if you fuck this, that's it. Um, no, so um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear your picks for sure. So, should we just get straight into them, go into the games? Let's do it. Okay, so um, I guess uh, just because of the way I've laid out this doc, I'll go first, I guess. Um, so, the first game I've picked is You Must Build a Boat from 88 Games. I um, played this on iPad a few years ago. It was um, during a kind of distressing deadline time. It is a match three a puzzler game combined with an endless runner and you're kind of going through these sort of indiana jones style uh, sort of situations kind of uh, adventure situations you don't have to pay that much attention to the endless runner bit but the things you do with it on the match three screen which is very straightforward stuff affects what's going on on the um on the on the animation on the top basically and over time you slowly accumulate a lot of like total fucking weirdos to move on to this big boat you're building um <laughs> nice. And it's a really simple, uh, well, it's it's like a simple to play sort of like mobile game with quite a high skill ceiling. And I thought it was quite a nice mix of genres, just because I'm not personally that invested in playing Endless Runners. It's not a genre I really care about. Mm. But um, I like the idea of fusing two quite broad mobile game genres into into one 
kind of slightly more interesting twist on it. Mm. So, yeah, the developer of this is um, a guy called Luca Redwood, who has also made a game called Photographs, which I definitely didn't get the same level of attention this did. I believe You Must Build a Boat was pretty successful. So, yes. Um, have either of you played this one? No, I haven't played this yeah, one. Yeah, I haven't either. Maybe it is obscure, I'm not sure. <laughs> but I, I, I think, like, a friend of a friend knew Luca, and then I just sort of became vaguely aware of the game. And um, I think, yeah, You Must Build a Boat as a name as well just sort of jumped out to me. It is like <laughs> a tiny boat when it starts out. And then, yeah, it's like rooms full of weirdos. It just slowly accumulates. And um, even that that side of things, it's not like a heavy narrative aspect to it, but I did become weirdly invested in the prospect of just hoarding strange people onto like a big arc. That's kind of the energy so. of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what, as in like the guests we bought? Yeah. <laughs> Only I'll be chucked yeah. off the end, the, the side of the boat at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's bleak, Catherine. Yeah, like that's, that. that's not really fulfilling the role of an arc, which is kind of more of a <laughs> kind of conservation exercise. <laughs> It's not like he went, I've got three armadillos, then tossed one off the edge, do you know what I mean? Might keep the other one around in case one's got, like, I don't know, problems. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, so that's my first pick. Is it a thing you can complete? Uh, yes, yeah. Eventually, you eventually um, have every everyone is on your boat, and you've built a boat, and then I think it sails off. I believe that's the end of the game, so um, spoiler alert. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, eventually you build a boat, as the name suggests. But, um, yeah, a very charming game. I, I do recommend it. It's, um, you can play on phones and yeah, iOS and stuff. It's um, one of about 15 games I own on my iPad. That's um, my relationship with mobile gaming. So, um, <laughs> yes, but uh, one I'm very fond of. I think, actually, this might have been recommended to me by one of the former Games Radar US people thinking about it. Um, okay. Someone just wrote about how charming mm. this is. So, um, yes, you must build a boat. I'm um, I'm quite fond. Catherine, you've got like a, a, a one that's been recommended to me multiple times as your first game. So uh, why don't you kick us off? So my first game is uh, Steamworld Heist by Image and Form. Uh, so this is like a, a 2D turn-based strategy shooter. It's sort of set in the same sort of Steamworld universe as Image and Form Steamworld Dig games or game at that point when it came out. They'd only, they'd only made the first SteamWorld dig at that point. It first came out on the 3DS in 2015, and um, it just blew me away. Like, I've never really been a massive fan of SteamWorld dig. Like, it was fine. You know, I enjoyed it. But I think, you know, this this really kind of, like, put image and form on the map for me. They've, do- they've sort of done so many genres through their SteamWorld games, and this was sort of, like, their first kind of, like, major departure from, you know, that, that sort of first one. And... And I think it's still probably one of the best games they've ever made. Like, it has some great characters, all led by this kind of pirate robot bounty hunter called Captain Piper. And she goes about kind of looting ships, recruiting new gang members to join her cause. All of the ships that you kind of come across, they're all sort of procedurally generated. But they're just like really great spaces to kind of duck and cover in. Just being able to bounce bullets off the wall to hit foes in the back or from like, you know, to hit people from like impossible angles. It's just really, really satisfying. Like it scratches a very similar itch to actually one of the other games on my list, which is uh, I'll talk about in a minute. But the strategy element of it is just, you know, it's really good. It's a, a little bit like XCOM in that you have action points that you can spend, you know, kind of getting into position or firing your gun. My sort of go-to team was this sort of like doddery old sort of sniper bot, this sort of strong man who sort of like pumps sort of dumbbells, uh, who has a rocket launcher and this kind of like unicycle kind of trickster character who just had like an amazing kind of movement range so he could just sort of like wheel past everyone and kind of like you know shoot them from behind really some of image informs like best character design is in this game and and yeah and there are hats like you know you can you can blow people's hats off their heads with your gun and go and claim them for yourself 
um, which, you know, I think we all know is, is a sign of a truly, truly great video game when there are hats involved. Yeah, it's just fantastic. And, you know, like it's the, the good news is it's now on practically every platform, you know, you can you can you can think of. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's simply no excuse not to not to go and get it. <laughs> yeah, good pick. What do you think the secret is to this developer, like staying so consistent, even when they're working outside of genres that is, you know, their home or their starting point, I guess? From other, other things I read about them, you know, they just play like loads of games all the time. And I think, you know, one of their more recent ones, SteamWorld Quest, which is kind of like a kind of deck building RPG. I think, you know, they were just playing like a lot of card games at the time. They're just very good at like identifying what makes a certain genre tick, but giving it like, you know, their own sort of spin and flavour. Highly recommend all all of the SteamWorld games, really. And like SteamWorld Dig 2 was also just like excellent as well. But yeah, Heist, I think because it was so, it's because it's a little bit different, it just does what it, you know, it does that that sort of turn-based sort of 2D XCOM like just really really well. That's it's definitely my favourite of, mm. of all of that they've done. Really interesting studio though. Like I, I particularly find the fact that they've crafted this weird fictional universe of sort of steampunk kind of sort of slightly kind of cowboyish robots. It um, harks back to something they made before SteamWorld Dig, which wasn't like a big breakout, wasn't like a big hit. But they kind of stuck with this sort of vibe and this universe, yeah, and then then kind of hit it big with Dig, and now it feels they're kind of off to the races, really. Um, yeah, a really, like, nice breakout success story for that kind of whatever generation that was. The, was that technically the last generation? It's always a bit murky when it's, like, 3DS Wii U, but <laughs> yeah, whatever that generation yeah. was... Um, yeah. like they were a really big part of it. You know, we had them in O&M a lot and um, Joe Scrabble's our writer on official Nintendo, like had quite a good uh, relationship with um, the slightly kind of unhinged bloke who heads up image and form, who always gives like really mad, uh, fun interviews. Yeah, good good studio. I'm, I, I, you know, I really hope they carry on getting bigger and better. Feels like the Switch is just perfect for a studio like that as well just in terms of, you know, maybe 3DS mm. and we you weren't that necessarily. But then yeah, along comes yeah. a format that's sort of perfect. They you know, sh- yeah, but. just throwing in with, you know, they threw in with, like, the weird platforms but made really great stuff which they could then port to, like, everything on Earth and have their success. Their next thing is this Xbox thing, isn't it? The Gloop or something. The gunk. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever um, it is, something like that. The Gloop yeah, the glue or the something. The gunk. <laughs> the gunk, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. Yeah. I'm sure they I'm sure they considered those names though, Matthew. So um yeah. Steam it's not a Steamworld thing though, I don't think. No, it's not. But they are making more Steamworld games. I think when they announced the gunk, everyone was just like, But Steamworld Um so they have yeah. <laughs> they have we sort of come out this and gunk. Said, <laughs> <laughs> They have come out and said, Yeah, they are making more Steamworld games, but they're making the gunk first for Xbox. This was one of those games that was revealed in that very confusing first Xbox Series X gameplay um yeah, uh, was, yeah. showcase. Yeah. Yeah, which is a weird thing to get caught up in. I think the ascent was in that as well, and it was mm. like, and everyone was just like, "Where's Halo?" And, um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, that's cool. I'll look out for that. I think that's. I assume that'll be on Game Pass if it was in the Microsoft thing. Yeah, but, um, hope so. Yeah. Oh, good pick, Catherine. Um, I will. I will look to. I will look to keep those up during um, a, a Switch sale at some point. They're bound to be like four quid a, a pop. Um, oh yeah. When that yeah, pops up, I'm sure. Yeah, they're pretty regularly on sale. I think. Okay, great picks. Um, so, Matthew, what's your first pick? Uh, I'm gonna uh, put in the room. By Fireproof Studios, the uh, then iOS, now PC and Switch. I don't think it's on PS, PlayStation or Xbox. Puzzle game about 
Uh, well, it's called The Room, but it's actually about a box, the first one, which I always thought was, why didn't they just call it The Box? And it is, uh, I think, one of the great blockbuster kind of iOS games in terms of like production values. This kind of came out of nowhere, and it was this incredibly luxurious thing about manipulating a very ornate puzzle box, which I guess is in a room, so justifying the title. <laughs> um, and you sort of spin this box around, you look at it from different angles, and you poke and prod at it to find sort of hidden switches and weird mecha- uh, weird sort of uh, mechanisms uh, that cause the box to unfold and open up and reveal kind of nested puzzles within. It's kind of weird as a puzzle game because... You, you're basically just poking and prodding at at a box until until you kind of solve it. Like there's some kind of sort of item combination puzzles, and there's some sort of hidden codes where, like, you know, the the carvings or the illustrations on the box will kind of hide hints to solve other mechanics on like the other side of the box. I wouldn't say it's kind of like a super difficult puzzle game, but just as an exercise in like manipulating this really tactile object. Uh, it's it's absolutely amazing, um, particularly like a really great showcase for touchscreens because it was all about kind of you know clicking things into place and sliding things out the way and the kind of satisfaction of moving kind of hinged joints and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's on PC as well where you manipulate it with with a mouse. It isn't quite as tactile and satisfying because of that, but the you know the general flavour of the thing and the kind of slightly sinister but at the same time kind of relaxed um energy to this i really like if you play these catherine i feel like um your proximity to matthew means he probably would have tried these as well <laughs> yeah definitely like i think it was it was christmas that it was I mean, matthew played it on my ipad um <laughs> like i think it was the it was the christmas that i got i first got an ipad and both of us were just yeah couldn't get enough of playing the room um you know i think matthew played it first and i sort of kept kind of like looking over his shoulder try, trying not to like look at it and see all the puzzle solutions when you're manipulating this thing particularly on a, on an ipad it just feels just like it just feels amazing like i don't think it would work at nearly as well on even like other touchscreen devices i think just the, the the sheer size of the ipad you know it sort of feels like you're kind of poking the an object like inside the the ipad which is yeah it's just a it's a really really great puzzle game really very you know very satisfying oh interesting i have seen it on sale on um switch several times but um i hadn't really considered that the uh size of the screen might be a factor in them yeah. i haven't played the switch port but it's meant to be really really solid like they they put a lot of care and attention into kind of porting and like remaking a lot of assets and redesigning bits of it and so that it works better on each host platform so you know, I think they know they're on to like they've got this quite precious thing, and they don't want it to ever be represented poorly, um, which right. is like a very admirable trait in a studio. Okay, great stuff. So my second pick is FTL Faster Than Light, very um, big selling uh, PC and uh, iPad, I believe as well, um, uh, strategy game. So in this, you basically control a Star Trek style spaceship going across uh, a galaxy, sort of fleeing this. Um, uh, enemy horde that's coming towards you and basically galaxies are well like um star systems are being sucked up behind you and you're trying to basically um make your way to the end of the galaxy so you can make a last stand with an armada basically and so how this is represented in game is you get into uh real-time battles with different spaceships and 
you can do things like um, targeting different systems on the enemy ships to uh, disable their guns, very much replicating the kind of um, uh, Star Trek style uh, sort of like combat of basically like naval ships in space, Mm. essentially. And then on top of that, you control the sort of like micro level uh, sort of disasters going on. So like a room catches on fire and you have to send someone in there to sort of fix it and that sort of thing. And it, it's really kind of chaotic, sort of frantic, fun space combat game that it's a, it's a roguelike. So it, you know, each time um, it kind of loops you, you can pick a different spaceship if you want and you can name your characters, which is fun. And yeah, essentially the story will play out differently each time because it has like about, I don't know, it must have like a hundred plus different sort of narrative obstacles it puts in your way or mm. things to decide, like you'll you'll come to a remote planet and then the game will ask you, oh, there's a stranger there, they're from a kind of like a discarded vessel, do you want to let them aboard? And they might turn out to be a new crew member, which is really handy. They might also be like a suicide bomber and blow up a bit of your ship, so there's a bit of a risk involved. And um, yeah, I, I think this is actually this is actually I did play this on iPad, so I don't know why I said I suppose it's on iPad earlier. I have played this on <laughs> iPad extensively. Um, the cool thing is they they released an original version in 2012, but then they released an advanced edition, which is the iPad one, um, later on, and that added a bunch more uh, story scenarios and, and different bits of the game, kind of like an ultimate edition of the game. Right. And um, I don't I wouldn't say it's like near infinite in terms of how much you can play it. You do eventually burn out on it, and it is very very hard, but. Um, I, I think that it's. It, I, I played it for well over a hundred hours, and I thought it was a, a phenomenal game that was basically made by two people mm. and um, and a composer. Mm. Very very impressive. I've only ever actually played it as part of a group at a party. <laughs> uh, <laughs> someone had an FTL party, which was basically like collective decision making. Um, I think it was a Tom a Tom Francis thing actually. Um, that sounds like a Tom Francis party. Yeah. A very stressful. <laughs> Very stressful party <laughs> activity. It's got that uh, sort of Battlestar Galactica sort of like doomed everything that can go wrong will go wrong kind of energy to it. So it exists in like a highly stressful place, um, which, you know, obviously makes it ideal for a party. Um, <laughs> uh, not knocking the party, um, I should add. We had a, you know, we had an evening of playing it and laughing at all the terrible things going wrong and how bad we were at keeping the ship alive. But I didn't come away with like a feeling of this is something I would personally like enjoy just because of that stress level. Yeah, you're not much of a strategy guy either, are you? Not Matthew? at all, mate. Well, I can, I've got real tunnel vision with like everything I do, so the idea of putting me in charge of a spaceship is just, I'd be. <laughs> Oh my god, I, I I wouldn't wish it on any space travellers. How about you, Catherine? Have you tried this one? I haven't actually, no. I've, I've played Into the Breach a lot, and I, al- I almost put Into the Breach on my list. Um, mm. But yeah, no, F- FTL is a, is a sort of very bad blind spot for me. Uh, I really should I really should play it at some point. Well, it's a good, you know, they're, they're both fantastic games, that's yeah. the thing. They're like, they are just really good, modern, simple to control and play, but then extremely hard to master strategy games. I, th- mm. I think that it's, um, yeah, they're, they're fantastic. I can't wait to see what they make next. But um, yeah, great stuff. So, Catherine, what's your second game? So my second game is Hold Down by Grapefruit Games, which is the other game I was talking about earlier. Um, I mean, Hold Down is, um, I mean, I hate to think how many, how many, how much time I've spent playing this on my phone, but this is just a brilliant puzzle game that's kind of pretty much kind of reverse alleyway. So kind of you, if you're armed with like an ever kind of expanding number of these 
weird little kind of smiling worm balls that you sort of fling at these blocks um, as you kind of bore down into the center of a planet. And each block, you know, has a number on it that you've got to hit it, you know, that number of times before it breaks. And all you do is just kind of like line up these little worms and just sort of let, you know, let them fly. But the great thing about it, I, I think, is, you know, it's it's USP, as it were, is that each block has rounded corners, uh, which I know doesn't sound particularly groundbreaking, but sort of bouncing one of these little balls off a rounded edge just right so that, it, you know, it either slips into a gap to do, like, mega damage to, like, loads of blocks at once. The the movement of these sort of little balls gets faster and faster the, the longer they're in play. And it's just, like, it's really satisfying to watch and execute. Like, it's just perfectly you know i don't i don't like to brag about these things but i have become very good at this over the last i don't know couple of years um i wish there was more of it like there were i think maybe sort of like half a dozen planets that have you know there's a sort of big core at the end of it that you kind of have to hit in a certain number of moves and then at the end once you've done all of those it's sort of like an endless mode i've just been playing that for absolutely ages it's, it's, it's a real kind of like perfect kind of brain switch off game um, that you can probably do while you know watching TV or something. And yeah, I've been playing that for ages. I think if anyone, if any other hold down uh, aficionados are out there, my my record is one thousand and ninety meters. Which, judging by the other couple of like hold down obsessives I've come across, like I think that's pretty good. It's something very <laughs> satisfying when you see some people having a conversation on Twitter and they're like, "Yes, I'm at like four hundred, and then you can drop <laughs> a, like an absolute wallaber of a score, and it's great yeah. slash obnoxious, but it's it's quite fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I would, I'd, I would happily buy like you know a whole other load of hold down levels or a hold down two or whatever. Like, I just, I just really love it. It's really, it's a really good phone game. Oh, okay. And so that was about three years ago that came out, right? It was like, yes. Was there like a, so. a moment where it was incredibly hot and loads of people were playing it? And mm. I, I vaguely recall this being like a thing on social media, and then you know, like a, a mobile games often are. Um, yeah, yeah. Just say one player once, but yeah. Yeah, I think I think it it definitely had a moment. I think when it came out, it, it then it then came out on PC. I think like either a year or two years ago. It's not quite the same. I think there's 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 something about just being able to kind of line up these things with with your thumb that I think is is what you know where the magic is. But yeah, I really really love Hold Down. More people should play mm. it if you haven't. <laughs> That's a good pick. That's um really cute looking art style as well. Simple, but um. But yeah, nice looking, just there is something out. quite creepy about the worm, just kind of like his sort of dead, you know, his dead-eyed stare. But yeah, it's yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to like uh, say it was slightly cursed, but it is a little bit. I'll be honest. I mean, but in, um... wouldn't you look like that if your job was just to get thwacked into a load of blocks forever, like yeah. where your life is deemed a success? If someone has angled you that you're going to ricochet for basically infinity, getting faster and faster, which presumably yeah. is going to hurt more and more. I mean, that's the energy of this podcast. Yeah. Um, that's like we're but we're both the worm in this. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> okay, yeah, great pick, Catherine. I'm gonna I'm gonna go. Down. Is that on Android as well? Yes. Yeah, I've been playing uh, on my Android phone. Yeah. Okay, it will be mine in the next two minutes. That's exciting. Um, <laughs> So, what's your second pick, Matthew? Uh, it's, I mean, it's kind of boring. In it's super exceptional, and everyone already knows about it. But I thought I'd put in Return of the Obra Dinn. I mean, this is comfortably in my top ten games of all time. I think it's Lucas Pope's maritime murder mystery, where you are a sort of insurance investigator working out 
how everyone died on a boat. Um, we talked about it at quite great length in the detective episode. I think it is the best detective game of all time in terms of like it just gives you a boat full of information that you have to pair up to work out how how everyone died and who they are and combining what you know from the ship's log with what you see as you explore the ship and what different characters say to each other and taking this vast soup of detail and extracting uh, via logic the kind of correct answers feels like you know the closest you'll ever feel to like being Sherlock Holmes also just like a you know a, a audio visual experience to die for because it's got this very strange um is it sort of dithering is it called sort of effect where it's 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 all sort of monochromatic drawn in sort of sort of lines and and dots and it's you know very we've said cursed already about the worm but there is something quite cursed about (laughs) you know what happens to the ship and just how it looks in its moments of horror um accompanied by this sort of demonic music played on um sort of ship's bells um this is just it's the raddest game it's so good yeah i mean this is one i've still only played the first act of so i um i owe it to myself to go back Um, and i think that the um the beautiful like say dioramas of horror basically mm. like them picking through those and it just creates such a sense of space so sense of place in such a small area and um yeah i must play this but uh, catherine i imagine this is one you would have played too right yeah yeah definitely again this is something that matthew played first and i kind of had to kind of just remove myself from the room like uh, <laughs> just so that i didn't sort of see how it was all solved because i wanted to play it you know kind of come in fresh for myself and yeah I, I i love this game as well it's it's fantastic um it's 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 really funny because even though matthew played played it first and you know i sort of saw vague hints of what was going on and got a sense of like you know exactly what was in store like we like we worked things out in completely different ways which I think is fantastic for particularly like a, a detective game like this, that, you know, the fact that there is that room to come to different conclusions. Like I've, I sort of worked out a bunch of people, you know, who they were from like literally their socks. Um, <laughs> and Matthew didn't, you know, he, he worked out who the, who those people were from, you know, a, a completely different method. And yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really well done. I've sort of, as I say, I've, I sort of haven't, I've tried not to play it again because, yeah, I sort of want to forget it all and be able to play it again, you know, mm. without without knowing all the all the answers. But yeah, yeah, great stuff. Yeah, um, well, well, uh, worth having him in, in this um, this kind of like vault we're building, Matthew. Mm. I think um, a mm, good pick definitely. on that basis. Got to have some big obvious classics. You got there, it. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my third game is Jazz Punk. It's a 2014 first person comedy game. Um, it was published by Adult Swim Games. It. Um, I uh, when I joined PC Gamer, Phil Savage reviewed this and gave it I think ninety three percent, and I was like, I think this is just around the time that indie games were still super hot and there weren't so many of them flooding Steam that it was like impossible to kind of curate them all. Right, there was like a canon of um of you know a, a, an easy to digest canon of um of the of the big ones and yeah this comes along and it's kind of like it's like an espionage based comedy. It sort of has like a Mission Impossible style setup where you take on missions and then um, sort of go out and um, and do various bits and pieces. But the game actually comes down to basically these sort of like hub worlds that you explore and then like interact with and kind of you sort of poke the game and then jokes come out mm. and the humor is very kind of naked gun, like a lot of slapstick and um, sort of comedy sound effects and uh, quite strange. 
and um yeah it's one of the best sort of like funny games around it's sort of like um yeah just very very inventive on that front it doesn't have like you know loads of dialogue that can sort of deliver jokes it is mostly about yeah like the inventiveness of physical comedy or time timing and things like that I don't think there are many other games like this, really. And um, I don't believe that Necrophone Games, the developers, made anything else like it. But um, there's a director's cut out now. I only played the original, but I think the director's cut has a, has um, has more going on in it. But um, yeah, I was very fond of this game. And so, yeah, it's only I think it's only like four hours long, something like that. Not very long at all. But um, yeah, just a very memorable, very stylish and memorable, um, funny game. Have either of you played this one? Yes, I've played this one, yeah. I've, I've, I, I, I also quite liked it. Um... I think probably, as you say, I don't think Necrophone have made anything else recently, but I think probably the closest that I've come to this kind of style of humour is, um, I was going to say Tales from Off Peak City. I cannot remember who the developer of that is, which is terrible. Um, but that has a very similar, like, just wild vibe to it. And Was that the person just... who made that? Was it the Norwood Suite or whatever it was? Oh, yes, that's it, yeah. Both the Norwood Suite and, um, yeah, Tales from Off Peak City are just kind of... just brilliantly like out there in both you know what happens the way that the characters move it's just sort of so eerie those i think definitely fall into that category of of those sort of you know carrying on that kind of jazz punk vibe Uh, it's a cosmo d is the developer that's the one yes cosmo d cosmo d a person (laughs) yeah i think that's an amazing name (laughs) yeah uh, this does look a lot like jazz punk actually i should totally play it um there you go you've got two recommendations for one there Yeah, uh, this looks a little bit more um, sophisticated and animation and it's, stuff as well. Whereas, um, I'd, yeah. I'd say I'd say it like the Cosmodisa's got a bit more of like a maybe like an artistic sensibility to it. Mm. It's not as mm. willfully like it is silly and odd, but there's like something a bit more like I don't know Lynchian as well going on. Where jazz yeah. punk is a lot more just like it's just a load of daft bullshit for four hours. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and and now it's in the Hall of Fame. And now it's in the Hall of Fame, forever being silly. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But no, no, I'm very very fond of it, and I always think it's a good starting point for someone who's like, I don't know, building a a sort of an indie collection, wants a little bit of variety in there in terms of like tone. So um, yeah. So Catherine, what's your number three? So my number three is Mutazioni by Die Gut Fabric. Uh, It's a Danish studio. A game I first played on Apple Arcade, actually, uh, which I think definitely kind of was was a factor in in why i like it so much um the developers kind of i think you know i've seen it described as like a a mutant soap opera which kind of to me makes it sound like eastenders but with aliens um but it's i I promise you it's a lot it's definitely a lot more interesting than that um there's not kind of a huge amount of like game to it per se but like it's it's very chilled and laid back kind of uh and like a nar- you know a, more of a narrative game than anything else but the story is you know it's i i really gel with the story and just really enjoyed my time with it um it's mostly because of the soundtrack like the music that kind of accompanies the game is just fantastic it's great background music very zen very calming the the soundtrack has these kind of 15 minute long day and night suites that just kind of you know is basically the background music and it's just the kind of thing that you could put on read a book or you know read a book to after a long day you could use it to um replace your blade runner rain mix sam yeah <laughs> yeah it's definitely got that vibe um it's very very calming but yeah but there's 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 also kind of a musical element to what you do in the game as well kind of you play this um 
young human girl called Kai who goes to visit her her ill granddad who who is a mutant and lives on this kind of isolated community sort of island community full of other mutants the kind of the, the mutazioni of the title um and during your stay there you meet all these kind of strange and interesting characters and they all have you know their own hang-ups and personal dramas that they're dealing with and um you get to see you know glimpses of all these problems kind of as an outsider but i think like what it does really well is it still makes you you know it sort of it still makes you feel that like actually you don't really know these people and maybe you know like you meddling in their affairs isn't actually being that helpful you know you're sort of causing more trouble than than you know than you intended but sort of throughout all of this you know your granddad is also kind of trying to pass on his traditions to you and that involves planting like musical gardens which is <laughs> it's a quite odd but it's, it's quite an odd game um but there are all these sort of plants and seeds and stuff that you collect around the island and um you know as you explore and visit different sort of story locations and you have to plant them in kind of a handful of gardens and each seed kind of creates its own little sort of little musical tone and harmony and just putting these together is you know like really satisfying and lovely and there's no kind of right or wrong answer it just kind of lets you kind of you know you're free to kind of decide what you want to put in these gardens and they actually released like a whole separate garden mode after the game came out which is basically just that it's just the planting of these gardens yeah great shout i'm, I'm shocked to learn i own this um uh, god bless the epic game store press <laughs> um, but yeah it's um so you think it's better suited to mobile than say pc i think it's just because like you're 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 kind of just moving kai between these places and sort of clicking on characters to kind of trigger dialogue like it's really suited to that kind of simple apple tv remote I'm sure it would play like perfectly well and everything else, but it sort of it just felt like, oh yeah, you know, this is like a, just a, it is very well suited to mobile as well, yeah. Okay, yeah, great pick, um, Matthew. Is this one you've checked out? Uh, I watched Catherine kind of playing it, um, and I hear the the sort of plinky plonky soundtrack um, <laughs> getting played around the house a lot. Um, there are like five indie soundtracks which seem in constant circulation. You know, Catherine will often read to something, and it's it's often. I think it's this or um, one of the eight million indie games that's about running a coffee shop, um, which is the one. Coffee talk. Coffee talk. <laughs> that's it. That and that Silence of the Sojourner and Grindstone are probably the, the soundtracks I have in, in most frequent rotation. Yeah. Nice. You were the right person to get on this podcast, Catherine. <laughs> um, okay, great stuff. So with Matthew, we're on to your third pick. Uh, right? I get to pick The Hex. Uh, by Daniel Mullins Games. Have you played this? I have not. Um, I have, yeah. Yeah, so Daniel Mullins made Pony Island, which was about a kind of cursed arcade machine. Um, What's awkward about his games is they're sort of games you're not really meant to talk about because the, the pleasure of them is discovering kind of sort of how fucking mad they are. And they never really behave in the way you think they're going to. So Pony Island's kind of like a a, a simple looking kind of arcade game which takes a, a super sinister turn. Um, and this is more obviously weird from the outset in that it's set in a hotel where all the guests are different game genres or the heroes of different game genres and they're kind of like classic kind of sort of archetypes and there's going to be a a murder in this hotel so it's like a murder mystery a kind of very kind of Agatha Christie you know you know all these people in a in a weird location isolated at night um, but all the different people are represent different game genres and 
as the game unfolds, you you play as each genre and sort of discover their story about how they got to this um, place. It's a mild spoiler, but the one I can explain is the first person you play as is a sort of washed up platforming mascot, a bit like Sonic the Hedgehog called Cheetah Boy. And it kind of traces his sort of story through, you know, how he sort of started out as this kind of retro uh, hero. And as he kind of sort of falls out of favour with gamers, all these like negative Steam reviews begin to like infect the game and things like that. So it's like, it's quite weird. It's quite meta. It's also just, you know, mechanically, the individual genres are really interestingly done. Some of the twists, you think, wow, that could be a whole game itself. Like, one of the genres is a kind of fallouty, kind of turn-based tactical shooter. But the kind of big gimmick there is about, like, using a cheat code to kind of rewrite elements of the game and, like, cheat your way to victory, which, just as a mechanic, I would happily play, like, a much longer game of that. Mm, I think I remember when you were reviewing this, you were trying to get your head around it a little bit. Um, mm. Like it was, it sounded quite complicated when you explained the premise to me. But um, yeah, it, it, yeah, it sort of it makes perfect sense when you're playing it. But I, th- I think the problem with it is, is this, there's certain things you could say that it'd be like this makes sense of this game, but then it it, it would just spoil it a bit, right, um, right? Because there are just yeah a lot of sort of surprises. But hopefully that's given you like enough of a taster to want to play it yeah it costs almost no money as well it's like seven pound 19 on steam so yeah, yeah that's um that is very reasonable but he's, he's got that um, new one coming out which looks super odd it looks a bit like a collectible card game combined with the room um mm. you're sort of playing some weird card game in an alpine lodge and you sort of seem to sort of break out from the card game and manipulate things in the wider room to change the game or something i can't wait I mean, this this guy's like bit galaxy brain as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, but kind of perfectly at home on PC, mm. really. Um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, by I feel like by um, 2025, 30% of all games released on Steam will have some kind of single-player card-based element. <laughs> yeah, that right. seems to be like where that's going. But Catherine, you, do you play this one too, right? Yeah, don't don't read anything about it. Just just go and play it. Is is the best advice I can give. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Um, so we're on to my fourth game. So I've picked a minute, which is from JW Kitty, Jukio, uh, and Dom. They are uh, all indie developers. I think they're a large group of friends. Basically, they've um, the the various developers on this game have worked on other games you would have heard of, and they basically got together to make a very short uh, Zelda-like game where you play it in sixty-second increments because um, the day keeps resetting. So it's um it took me I think like 97 minutes to finish this according to Steam. Um actually a really satisfying indie game to put into your rotation if you want to feel, finish a game in one night and mm. feel like oh I've ticked off another game before I go and play another fucking monstrous open world game. <laughs> That's um it's kind of spot on for that. But it's um it's just really elegant and perfectly formed in terms of how it it sort of uses items and unlocks parts of its world and plays out. It just I think the way it sort of borrows different bits of um, of Zelda work really well. There's also the um, uh, very simple visual style as well, which kind of suits the style of game nicely, and um, and good music as well. So yeah, very straightforward, mm. just yeah, Zelda like with um, quite quite a nice little sort of story that pans out, and yeah, a world that is perfectly fitted to um, to basically be uh, to you unlock different bits of it, and then over time you can kind of get anywhere very quickly, and it becomes about strategizing with your precious 60 seconds so 
I'm assuming both of you have played this because mm. um, it was so massive. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think of it, uh, Catherine? As you say, it's, it feels so well designed for that kind of time limit. And it's all, it's always about working out like where the next save point is so that you can start from a different location on your next run. And there are so many sort of, you know, other, other bits to it as well, like little side quests that are amazing to, to sort of think that, you know, that side quests can be completed in, in less than a minute, but, you know, are, are much more than just kind of your standard side quests and stuff. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Got great music as well. It gets you kind of like really into the groove of, of playing. You know, it's like, oh yeah, like puts you in the zone of like, I've got to, I've got to do this. I've got to get to the next thing. It sort of really kind of like, kind of psychs you up a little bit. Yeah, I think it's great. Uh, how about you, Matthew, as the um, as a Zelda connoisseur? It's actually like ruthless depiction of, of what a Zelda game is sort of like under all the faff i wonder if a bit of it is a sort of look the emperor has no clothes you know this is actually you know this kind of is a a zelda game in its entirety and this is how basic it is and you know not i wouldn't say it's a critique of it but it does make you think oh yeah this is what link's awakening is it makes you see sort of how much color or kind of stodge (laughs) you can kind of layer on top of like the bare skeleton of it which is kind of interesting. Like, I think it. I think it's yeah. definitely like a more interesting game if you have played the things that it's riffing on. What you say about Zelda there is interesting because I think like the longer you play a two D Zelda, you start mm. to break the game down like down like that in your head. Like um, when I played Link's Awakening on Switch, I felt a bit like that. Like I know this so well now; it's just actually taking me no time at all to um, to mm. finish all of this once you know where you're going. Um, so yeah. Okay, good stuff. Well then, uh, we're on to your fourth pick, Catherine. So um, uh, quite a, a very acclaimed game here that has been recommended to me many times, but um, I think I might be too stupid to play. So um, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so my, my fourth game is Heaven's Vault by Inkle Studios. Um, I've always been a big fan of Inkle's games. Like I very nearly put 80 days on here. Um, but Heaven's Vault is, is mm. just the one I keep thinking about, you know, and keep coming sort of back to. Like, as, as you know, I th- it's, it is a really hard, like, odd pitch to get your head around you're effectively this kind of space archaeologist who travels around like a load of sort of settlements in this sort of star nebula kind of translating ancient hieroglyphics which is a really <laughs> it's a really sort of odd pitch thinking like oh translation like that's I, I don't really want to spend my you know spend my downtime like learning a language like that's really weird um but it's it's kind of like a it's a classic, you know, understanding the past to understand the present sort of thing. Um, and I just, I just really like the way that Inkle's sort of translation system actually works. Like, you know, you start off with these two words, but you're left to pick which words you think are the best fit simply by looking at the, the weird shape of these sort of squiggles and groupings of these, of these words and patterns that your character kind of identifies for you. And from there, you know, you just construct this entire language based on just as i say kind of nothing like um you know it's just incredible and you know by the end you're translating these great big long phrases and sentences building up your vocabulary to kind of unearth more of this story and it's it's just like the the whole piecing together of the language it just really feels like you are you know you are unearthing some sort of secret piece of history sort of there's no really right or wrong answer you know sometimes you will get things wrong but you know the game's so kind of quick to kind of auto correct you that it never feels like a failure or, or an error of your judgment you know it's just like it's just another way of seeing things and i think you know it's a really smart thing for a game you know to do that well is it as hard to play as it sounds when you describe it and when other when other people describe it just tra- translating thing uh, an alien language in general i just i almost can't wrap my brain around 
me being able to do it but is it is it simpler than i think it is the game kind of you know gives you kind of suggested words that you basically just kind of like drag and drop into these kind of like you know these kind of like little kind of word place placeholders to kind of think you know to to make these sort of sentence of what you think is the correct answer like you have to pick two words you get a choice of like holy and friend for like the first one and then like emperor or like beloved for the second one but the the two words like or the the two different kind of um clusters of symbols are very similar so i sort of thought like well you know maybe it's like holy and emperor because you you know again you 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 bring all these sort of assumptions maybe people in the past thought that you know an emperor was was sort of you know kind of like holy or, or you know ordained by god or something and it's just like you know just making those kind of connections in your brain from what you're given is is just like that's a really kind of interesting process yeah great stuff yeah do you think this is best played because you can get this on switch as well right as well as pc do you have a preference yeah they've yeah they've definitely um released it on more platforms since i first played it i I first played it on pc um but yeah I th- i'm sure it'd be yeah e- equally suited to switch it's like it sort of sounds super highbrow but it's, yeah <laughs> it's quite entertaining like you've got like a little sarcastic robot and like fundamentally yeah. you are visiting kind of like you know, there are human characters to talk to and, and, you know, there's a sort of central, like, mystery or kind of adventure you're on. You know, one of the points it's trying to make is, like, you can never truly know, you know, or understand what people were thinking in the past. Mm. So kind of being, like, wrong... Like, I don't think there is a right answer in the game. Like, being wrong, you know, but it being a bit murky is kind of the point, which yeah. which is quite, a, you know, quite an in- interesting mm. thing to sort of investigate. But I always feel for them, because I, I get the impression after Sorcery in 80 Days, which were just, like, huge, you know, re- felt like they were, you know, really big and talked about. This felt like them trying to, like, do a quite a step up, like, production values-wise. This feels like their biggest game in terms of, like, ambition. But I wondered if it if it just, if the pitch was almost, like, a little too highbrow and kind of scary for people. The pitch was so simple on Sorcery and 80 Days, that's the thing. You know, I'm not saying, like, oh, you have to keep it simple, but I, th- I think the fact that their recent, like, murder mystery, which is, like, you've done a murder and you have to get away with it in, is it Overboard? Yeah. Um, it's just so easy you can get your head around and that felt like there was just a lot more buzz around it and a lot more talk because Heaven's Vault just feels very academic and in screenshots looks very academic um, but I hope people do give it a go because there's mm. like a lot of interesting stuff and, and heart and kind of mm. you know magic and wonder in the actual adventure itself It's an excellent game at the moment but very difficult to describe and kind of convey in, in an interesting way It mm. is very good, I promise <laughs> <laughs> I'll take your word for it. So, Matthew, what's your fourth one? Uh, I've gone for There Is No Game Wrong Dimension. Mm, I've literally never heard of this. <laughs> this. I think this came out last year. It's a bit like The Hex in that it's a game which is sort of spoiled the more you talk about it. But very broadly, you load up this game and there's like a title screen that says there isn't a game and there's this sort of narrator character who talks to you and they're like you know i hate to break it to you there there isn't actually a game you've bought this you should just uninstall it and so begins this kind of meta sort of war between you and the narrator to try and play this game that allegedly doesn't exist that first chunk of the game is all about trying to sort of crack open the title screen 
and kind of bust through to see if there is a game. You know, that's sort of like what you can say about it. Other, you know, then it is, it kind of plays with genre massively. And spoiler alert, there are layers to this beyond this, this title screen. And as you dig deeper into it, it's almost like this narrator is like throwing distractions at you or is trying to kind of get you to sort of ignore the fact that there isn't a game or he thinks there isn't a game. It makes perfect sense when you're playing it and is, and is I would say, like Jazz Punk, one of the quite rare, genuinely funny games. Yeah, looking at the screenshots on Steam, this does actually ring a bell from last year. And um, is it based on a game jam? Yeah, sort of like yeah. So, originally? Yeah, I, yeah, I haven't played the earlier version of it, but yeah, they kind of grew, grew the idea out, but it's... Um, yeah, it's got, it just moves so fast. I guess a bit like Jazz Punk. Like if if you don't find one joke funny, like there'll be another one along in like ten seconds. So it doesn't really matter. Um, mm. And generally, I'd say it hits more than it misses. Yeah, looks like it was massive as well. I think this is the kind of game that when I'm not working on PC Gamer, just sort of passes me by. I feel like um, maybe I'm just not as tuned in. Because I see it was IGF nominated as well. Mm. But um, Catherine, is this one you've played? No, but again, it's it's sort of one of the ones that, that is on my list. I've sort of heard, yeah, heard a lot of good things about it, and feel like, yeah, I said, this is definitely something that sounds like my kind of game. But yeah, I just haven't got around to playing it yet. Yeah, Steam is telling me it's similar to the games I've played, uh, the Stanley Parable. Yeah, fourth wall breaking comedy puzzler, I guess, which is mm. an interesting genre. Um, Great stuff. Okay, well, that's gone. That's gone on the wish list. Then that looks really cool. The screenshot, the art looks really nice for the different game types mm. we've done based on these um, Steam screenshots. So, um, yes, I will pick that up when it's on sale. Good stuff. So, my fifth and final pick for this episode is Risk of Rain Two from Hopu Games. I hope that's how you say it. Um, so, it's a small developer who originally made. Um, obviously, the first Risk of Rain was a two D game. You could play it in co op. And um, it worked really well. It was it was a mega seller for the second one. Um, a, still, a relatively small team decided to make a 3D version of that game. So it's a, basically a, like a roguelike uh, sort of shooter. Well, your, your abilities differ, but you go through these worlds, um, killing enemies and finding power-ups um, to basically slowly build a very, very powerful warrior. And those power-ups um, can vary quite wildly. So you can get... Um, like a rocket launcher that straps to your character's shoulder, for example, that will ambiently just fire rockets while you're while you're shooting, mm. or you'll get um, a kind of a, a multiplier for your for how much you can run or how much you can jump and things like that, and that will allow you to reach you know different parts of the environment where you can get you can unlock different treasures and you kind of you keep building up and up and up basically. Um, I think for a lot of people who burn out on the four player co op games they enjoy, this is well worth considering if you haven't played it yet. It was a mega seller. It was published by Gearbox, I believe. I've uh, I've enjoyed playing this with um, previous guest of the show, Jay Bayliss. We played. I think we played twenty hours of this together, mm-hmm. and it gets so so hard. Like um, the enemy types are really weird. It, it, they almost remind me of like Serious Sam, where they're just very strange looking things. Like later on, there's. Um, a Doshin the Giant style yellow enemy that just <laughs> comes along and absolutely fucking clobbers you. There's like these giant worm things that come out of the ground. Um, yeah, it, get, it gets kind of like weirder and weirder and it's it's kind of about managing this chaos and sometimes you're just on the run from about 40 different enemies. And um, it, the goal of each level is to look for this um, activation point, like a portal that goes to the next the next level and when you do that, a boss arrives and, and you kind of take on the boss. But um, the hope is that over time you accumulate enough uh, deadly sort of weapons and multipliers to um, to be able to handle the sort of like the mess and the characters vary wildly. So there's um, 
there is uh, one character who's got like a Spider-Man style grappling hook, and it's a really kind of like unwieldy but powerful thing that will get you to parts of the environment really quickly. There's um, I've started playing this dude who's like um, got like a shotgun uh, sort of short range guy. There's a another one who can sort of like call in like an orbital strike and. That they all they all differ quite a lot. There's one that's like a kind of a swift archer sort of character with low health, so you've got to stay out of the the carnage a bit more. And um, the fact that it's a four player co op means that the challenge scales up and down, and you can think um, sort of quite carefully about how your different uh, sort of like classes, I guess, fit together as a group. So, yes, I'm very fond of this game. Have either of you played it? No. No, I haven't either. I've, I've, I've not played it either. It, for some reason, it's just something that lots of people have told me about, but has just never, ever pushed me over the line to actually try it. I find the screenshots of this one super hard to pass. Like, they're just it just looks super hectic and surreal. Yeah, I don't know if it is, like, the best-looking game. Like, it's... um. It, it I, yeah, I don't know if that's the reason to play it necessarily. The music's really good. It's like this Pink Floyd-style... Whatever that type of rock is, where it's like it goes on for like thirty minutes and then gets a bit like weird, but it's also quite daddish, like that. Whatever that genre of music is, that sort of dark side of the moon kind of Pink Floyd kind of stuff. Um, that's the kind of music they go for, and um, it's got it's got some interesting wrinkles as well. Like there's um, there's a shop you can visit, and um, if you go down this secret tunnel, you un- you you go to a this ultra hard realm of enemies, which if you can survive it will give you kind of like power-ups to take back into the sort of main game. It's kind of like an optional sort of side room that's like devastatingly hard. And so there are different ways you can sort of um, augment your character as you go and different risks you take. Because it's a a, a roguelike as well. It's um, obviously you have to be conscious of death. Mm. And there's like um, one type of currency, I believe, that carries across um, between lives. So that's another thing to keep in mind. But it really is about like mastery this and finding a character who works for you. So... um, I really rate it. Um, it's, it would be a good one to have on Game Pass, actually. That would, um, I think that would get more people to play it. I don't know if I would play it a single player, but it's a perfect sort of um, game to play with someone who is better at it than you. Oh, you maybe maybe you'll have so, to, um, to show us the ropes in this one. Well, I might just get Jay to do it, because he's better than I am. Um, <laughs> right. I, I, he's always carrying my ass in this game. But um, So, Risk of Rain 2, I very much um, recommend it. So... Catherine, we're on to your fifth game. Mm, so my final game is Soma from Frictional Games. And I think probably maybe most people know Frictional from um, Amnesia, The Dark Descent. Um, that's probably their most most famous game and the one that you know, pe- people like like the most. But for me, I think Soma is, is, is their best game for me. Um, it's a little janky in places and recycles some of like the monster ideas from Amnesia in that, you know, I think, again, it's sort of, it's unclear for some of them, but, you know, the 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 general vibe is that you know you can't look at them or they'll hunt you down and kill you but i think it has a much smarter story attached to it and a lot more kind of thought-provoking ideas um you sort of start off as this kind of bloke who goes into hospital one day for an experimental brain scan and you know (laughs) like i know that's never a good sign um but you know like this this guy was sort of involved in a car accident it's quite badly injured and this is all you know he sort of goes in as part of this sort of as his recovery treatment you know, he's he's not a well man, um, but when he arrives at the hospital, sort of something happens while he's hooked up to all the machines. Sort of suddenly, he wakes up, um, and the entire room is you know in di- is in disarray, very apocalyptic. You know, something's gone down, and you have to spend you know you you spend the rest of the game discovering what that what what that is. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say. You find out quite early on. You know, you're not in the hospital, but you're in this sort of like underwater facility um and you're sort of suddenly in this kind of weird kind of 
diving suit type thing so you know you've got to find your way out and find out what happened as you go through this facility you know you encounter all sorts of sort of nightmarish things along the way as well as you know as well as some sort of some strange monsters um that you know seem to be sort of part experiment gone wrong and it's sort of a mixture of sort of stealth and kind of survival horror as i say it's sort of it's a little bit it's a little bit kind of janky in places you know in in amnesia it was just really clear like you can't look at this thing and it was it was just the one monster whereas this is sort of multiple monsters i think this is probably one of its main downfalls and probably the reason why they eventually then later patched in like a completely kind of like conflict free version of this game that removed all the monsters you know it was never really clear exactly what you had to do to get around them but the main reason i love so much so much is kind of uh because of its ending really and i won't spoil it because you know that would obviously ruin ru- ruin the whole thing but like the twist was just sort of something that i didn't really see coming and it was like it was surprisingly devastating in a way that i kind of wasn't really expecting like really kind of like existential dread sort of stuff like if you've ever read kind of greg egan's kind of permutation city you you, you know you'll probably have an idea of what i'm talking about it's all sort of tied up in kind of like transhumanism you know uploading your memories and kind of like to a computer and all that sort of stuff you know what happens in that process and it was just kind of like really thought-provoking stuff and kind of like hard sci-fi themes i hadn't really seen in a video game before or really seen since i don't think another game that's hard to talk about without spoiling exactly what makes it good but if you haven't played it kind of do it <laughs> just sort of go go and play it yeah this is this is one i have played so um i don't i don't think i finished it i sort of like I felt like I got the measure of the story, but maybe I didn't. If um, if there's a big killer twist at the end, mm. but um, I thought the um, environmental design was the best thing about it. Yeah. It kind of felt like Bioshock adjacent, yeah. like a less stylized kind of underwater sci-fi um, environment. I think it didn't help that the monster stuff it arrived around the time that Alien Isolation did, mm. or like at least you know close enough that that was kind of in my mind as like if you're gonna have one thing stalking you in a game like the alien in that game has completely you know smashed it out of the park in terms of ai so that was tough um i did quite like the monster design though um i sort of like uh, uh, matthew a question for you is this one of the games where it's a bit more psychological horror rather than actual horror and it's not quite scary enough is this the sort of game you're talking about when we um when we discuss that i would say it's more psychological horror than actual horror this one has like the intellectual chops to kind of pull it off yeah, I think that um, this is a very classy game in terms of how nice it looks. And it, I feel like, um, yeah, it's not so much like terrifying as it kind of puts you at an unease. And yeah. the themes of the uh, story tie into that. Just that feeling of like, I don't quite know why I'm here um, yeah. sort of thing. What do you think of the voice acting in this, Catherine? Because that was one of my bugbears of the game. Is that I didn't. I thought it was slightly melodramatic. Yeah, I, it's, it's been a while since I've played it, but... Yeah, I don't remember it kind of being like amazing. It was it was fine, I think. It didn't really kind of bug me in in a in any particular way. It kind of it's all kind of goes with the kind of general jank of it, I think. <laughs> sort of like a kind of kind of endearing kind of B movie sense to it in, in some respects. I know it's not very long, so um, no. maybe I should reinstall this, download my cloud save and um just get it done. But um yeah. Okay, great stuff. Uh, that's uh, very different from your other picks, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, this is where this is where it reveals that hold down is also a psychological horror. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in in a sense, I guess you yeah. don't know what is in um, the core of the earth. That's true. Okay, great stuff. So, Matthew, what's your fifth and final game for this episode? Uh, so, I've gone with Dandy Dungeon by Onion Games, which is the the studio run by Yashira Kamira, who made Little King's Story, which I've obviously talked a little bit about on this this podcast before. Um, 
a really quirky, interesting guy, and I think a lot of him is in his games. Probably no game more so than this sort of dungeon crawling RPG, but about a man who has just left his job at a mainstream studio to go indie, which obviously reflects the life story of Kimura himself. He's creating a game based on the characters in his life. The bad guy of his game, the Demon Lord, is the kind of the head of the big games company he used to work at. And the princess you're trying to save is the sort of next door neighbour that he has a crush on. And all these kind of weirdos in his apartment block and in his life kind of gradually get folded into the game. Um, He's making the game as you play the game. So he's making this dungeon crawler. So it starts off very simple and then he keeps layering on new mechanics as inspiration strikes and as the the game design gets more ambitious. Um, the, The crawler itself is... It's quite interesting. Every room of the dungeon is played on a 5x5 grid, and it's kind of a spatial puzzle in that you're trying to draw his path through the room so that you 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 hit every square of this five-square grid. But at the same time, you're trying to sort of shape that progression so that you can kind of collect items to use against monsters on that grid, which is really like interesting in itself. It's very, very fast-moving. It's like an RPG in Fast Forward. It was originally on mobile as a free-to-play game where it had free-to-play mechanics. So you had to buy these, you know, spend real money on, on various food items to kind of sustain yourself through these dungeons so you could push deeper. Now there's a paid-for version on PC or Switch, which is the version I'd recommend because it's basically... You know, this game and its story is so grand and so good that you don't want to have the kind of stop-start of the mobile experience. I think you just want to be able to enjoy it as a whole. It's incredibly funny because the way he, like, folds all these kind of um, pests in his real life into the game is, 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 is really, really well done. Like, his animosity towards his old corporate overlords. He himself is this really weird, endearing character, and he keeps taking... His, he sort of takes off his clothes to program, and there's, like, a, there are other, there's like another programmer who also takes his clothes off. It's really, really weird. It's got amazing music. It's not really hummed, but all these these strange little ditties that are kind of sung by this kind of strange crooning voice um hopefully we can include some of the music in this episode so you can see what i'm talking about but it's really a one of a kind soundtrack as well quite grindy i will say but it has enough good ideas that you're excited about what it's going to do next that you don't really mind pushing through that grind very charming very very funny um a kimura classic Mm. Has, lovely, has a lovely art style just looking out on Steam, um, where it's... Um... There's just some really surreal stuff, which I don't really know where it comes from. Like, there's a dungeon in this, which is all based on, like, asparagus farming, and all the enemies are, like, giant bits of asparagus and stuff, and, <laughs> like, their enemy descriptions are really colourful and... and um, super odd or some of it's localized by tim rogers kimura was tied in with grasshopper and suda 51 you know i think their paths have crossed there in some way onion games i think should just be supported at all costs because they're like super super precious studio i think is this when you play catherine i've played a little bit of it i haven't played as much as matthew um but yeah like it's it's it is it is sort of genuinely funny it is it's kind of like Dearly weird and strange and yeah the the music is great and yeah like the the the, the crooner uh <laughs> the crooner sort of like singer and it is 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 just yeah it is great it's a really a real one of a kind 
video game that yeah, yeah, yeah you just don't mm. see that kind of combination of we- weirdness anywhere else really <laughs> there's a there, well, now, like amazon is represented in this is this big it's this this lady called mamazon um <laughs> right. and her song is just like one for all eight it's just one for the ages it's uh you get really excited every time someone knocks on the door because you know like something brilliant's going to come through it's just it's really really fun Oh, great stuff. That's a vintage Matt Castle pick. Um, <laughs> weird in Japanese, exactly what I um, expect from you, Matthew. Um, now, now I know it's on Switch as well, I can't buy the PC version, so that's um, that'll be where I have to buy it when it's um, when it's uh, discounted, which seems to be quite frequently actually looking at it, so uh, yeah, worth picking up. Mm. Cool. Well, we, we did it. We got to the end of this, um, this first uh, run of um, indie games going into this vault. I've no idea who we'll have on next, Matthew, but I'm sure we'll think of some guests. Um, but... Um, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us and talking oh. about these games that you love. It's been um, great to have thank you. Thank you for having no, me. No, thank you so much. It's going to get increasingly difficult because each guest has to come up with stuff that isn't already in the vault. <laughs> Is that the pitch? Yeah, I mean, yes, yeah, they do. So, uh, yeah, that's a um, tough break for them. But um, Plus, we have to come up with five games each time too, Matthew. Well, that's so, all right. I've deliberately held back a lot of my classics. So, Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I, I'm. Um, I'm. Uh, we, I'm up for changing the format depending on um, who we have in as well. It'd be cool to have some like developers come on and talk about the stuff oh, yeah, too. For but sure. I haven't worked out the. Cu- I worked up the courage to DM them yet because I have no idea how much they um, they care about being on a podcast with about three thousand listeners. So who knows? <laughs> but yes. Um, so yeah, we've got a few listener questions here, which I'll just fire through. Um, Catherine, a general note: um, What's the behind the scenes of this podcast like for you? Because Matthew talks quite a lot about. Oh, I was chatting to Catherine about this episode, and she said X, Y, and Z. <laughs> what's it like for you hearing about the behind the scenes of this podcast? I get sort of snippets of the of, of all the kind of in jokes and the the things that you talk about. I kind of like almost feel like I kind of don't have to listen to the entire episode because I feel like it's all filtered through Matthew in in <laughs> in some form. Um, I do still obviously listen to it as well. Um, but yeah, it's sort of like it's it's funny kind of hearing these uh these sort of in jokes keep cropping up every now and again. Just just in general conversation. It's it's yeah, it's it's quite funny. Yeah, I don't really know how that how that has um has happened. Some of these jokes are very bizarre. <laughs> well, but, um... I, I like the uh, you're hearing some of these reader questions. I just I love the confidence which which people talk about things which are total bullshit and don't exist outside <laughs> of this podcast. Um I love the yeah. combination of like obscure Japanese developers and Bath. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. A perfect setup for this first question, then, which is from um, Tom Doughty, who was uh, written to us before. But you wake up to the sound of your doorbell ringing frantically. On opening the front door, you're greeted to Yuji Naka, who explains he's got 24 hours to kill while in Bath due to a heist gone wrong. <laughs> what do you get up to with him? So, the question that was put to us on Twitter when I tweeted this question out was. Um, he's got 24 hours to kill so is he going to kill someone in 24 hours or are you just going to hang out with um, this is what I thought when 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 I sort of first read this question it's like he's got 24 hours to kill someone that seems quite dark Um, but then I sort of read it again it's like oh wait no he's just got time to kill that makes more sense Mm. Um. (laughs) I like the idea I I love the justification for him being in Bath is that just a heist has gone wrong (laughs) yeah where would you hold up in Bath like, I mean, I mean, there's there's some quite tea shop. Yeah, well, there's some quite nice jewelers. That's true. That's yeah. true yeah, that is true. There's that big jewelry <laughs> shop which has the scary um, elf hologram. Have you ever seen that, Sam? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I haven't. Where is this? So at, at Christmas, there's that that jewelers which is near Pulteney Bridge, Mallory, the yeah. the mm. big Bath jewelers. They project this image onto their storefront as part of the Christmas lights. 
and it's of this like demonic looking elf kind of creeping around it's really sinister it looks like the green <laughs> goblin from spider-man and it's not very festive at all and cause we used to live near there and we'd always see it at christmas and be like oh the sinister elf is back uh, <laughs> i must go and see that it's like when um like there's a limited time event in a game yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. right right now in bath for 12 days you can go see this fucked up looking elf um yeah uh I guess to answer the question, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like this is more directed at you, Matthew, because you have the rivalry with you. Know, <laughs> well, that we've played yeah, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's a rivalry. I mean, like, to suggest <laughs> that we're some kind of equal peers is, is obviously <laughs> ludicrous. So, and he's an incredibly successful game designer. Um, <laughs> like, I'm a bloke who annoyed him in a queue once. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, it's a story we've heard at least five times. Yeah, I, uh, like, I don't know. I. Uh, like Bath's got quite a set tourist trail, like of things that you'd probably want to see. I mean, to be honest, you know, take him to the Roman baths that kills a few mm. hours. JC's kitchen, obviously, to taste the meat if it's open. If, if it's, it's twenty-four open, hours, it's to touch and go. Or not. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Bath is full of tourists who seem to be having a good time. Like it's, we forget that it's quite nice just to look around it. I'm sure Eugene Acker would just enjoy it. I, um, yeah, that's that's fair enough. I, I, the thing is, you can see all of it in 24 hours. That's the that's a fact. Um, yeah. Again, don't really know about the heist element. I don't know if the <laughs> cops are after him this whole time. The Roman baths would be a good place to hang out, though. I don't feel like the cops would be looking in there. Yeah, well, the yeah. central bath is a lot of it's kind of pedestrianised, so like it's quite hard for like cop cars can't go tearing up the high street. There are a lot of bollards, so <laughs> <laughs> like Eugene Nacko, he's picked a good place to hide out if if he is yeah. on the land. Yeah. There are also, like, basically no cops in Bath as well. Like, um, I think I saw three police the entire lockdown last year enforcing <laughs> it, and they just, like, walk up to a barbecue and, like, say, excuse me, there's more than six of you or whatever, and you're like, brilliant, <laughs> this is law enforcement. I, I must admit, like, alarm bells rung when they shut the police station. Are <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, we yeah. just not... Okay, well, are we, like, we're not doing law, law and order in Bath anymore. <laughs> It's like, how is the council tax going up, but there's no longer yeah. a police station? <laughs> uh, amazing. There you go. Bit of um, Bath satire for you there. So, second question then. Um, hey, guys, I've been listening to you guys since your third or fourth episode, and I must say that your show is my favourite podcast I listen to. Thank you very much. Uh, so, thank you. I've got a question that may be directed a bit more towards Mr. Castle. I thought this would be a good one for you too, though, Catherine. Um, so, uh, similar to how you ranked the Ace Attorney games and listed your favourite trial i was curious if you could do the same for the romper games just the three just brief answers and no heavy spoilers of course thanks and keep up the great show you actually got me playing hitman and that's a series i never thought i'd like so thank you for oh. that cheers from canada kevin jones nice but, um yeah so romper i'm assuming Catherine, you've played these as well as matthew i haven't actually no i i own one and two um and i think three on I definitely have one and two on Steam, but then have three on, like, I don't know, PlayStation 4 or something, which is always sort of, like, in my head, prevented me from just starting them completely because it's kind of like there's stuff that kind of carries over and it's like, oh, no, I've made I've made a sort of noob error of buying these games on different platforms, so I can't do that. Um, you have to get a Steam deck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, I've, I'm, I'm pretty much useless for this question because, yeah, I haven't played any of the Danganronpa games, even though, yeah, I really, I really do need to. I think it's just because there's a there's some kind of mystery and it's Japanese. I assume you'd be all over this, but um, yeah. But um, Matthew, you are obviously the expert then. So how would you um, rank them? The short version, I'd say one, three, two. Um, I think you have to play the whole series because 
there's like rolling you know the wider like rolling on story stuff is 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 kind of there um that said the actual ongoing story is kind of like sort of the least interesting bit of it for me like i don't really like the what the overall kind of thing is in danganronpa doesn't interest me it's very melodramatic very overwritten and i think you can enjoy the kind of murders and the trials as individual things without having to worry about the bigger story too much um that said there are like references and characters nods and things that i feel like a bit like the ace attorney trilogy you have to play the whole thing so putting them into order is maybe redundant um but yeah the original pitch of one which is the the school that you know the kids in a school it, it just there they're the concept makes the most sense that they are students that they are in a school the second game which i think is the weakest they go to the, this tropical island uh and it's just a, a little bit kind of like sillier and kind of hard to get your head around there's this really terrible female mascot who I don't know. It's just a bit too sinister with some of the stuff they do with her. I didn't enjoy that as much. Um, the third one's got arguably the best mysteries. Some absolutely killer twists. Uh, I, I probably couldn't do an individual trial breakdown like I did with Ace Attorney just because uh, they're all sort of much of a muchness. I think they're all pretty solid. I think actual as murder mysteries, Danganronper, the, the core ingredients of each case is maybe better than Ace Attorney, but the, the overall story and the character and the tone of the thing is 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 way way more obnoxious. Um, so that's why Ace Attorney kind of trumps it for me. But yeah, do do play them though; they're they're really marvelous games. Okay, great stuff. And uh, obviously coming to Switch later this year. So um, yeah. Okay, I final like question. I like today, with that question. It says just brief answers, which feels like <laughs> the sort of, it feels like the subtext of that is like, oh, don't go on. <laughs> yeah, I don't need an entire podcast. It's like, don't do, it. don't, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Shut the fuck okay. up. Tell me what I want to know. <laughs> Last question then. So, hello, gentlemen. After Catherine Castle's scathing hardware review, the game gent is having a rocky start. <laughs> Um, there'd be a conflict of interest there, I feel. But um, still determined to get one on launch day, Samuel has been queuing all night outside Tandy. Luckily, the manager recognises him and ushers the famous meat tent influencer to the front of the queue. Jesus Christ. How many in-jokes have we got uh, like, tied up in Tandy? This? That's new, isn't it? Uh, well, Tandy is like, that's like a very Alan Partridge-y thing to mention, I feel like. Um, uh, yeah, so arriving home, he boots up GTA 5 on the new machine. But no, it's the dreaded purple ring of death. Throw the device to the floor, it splutters and suddenly an electrical surge bursts out of the machine and pulls Samuel into the computer realm, into a GTA heist no less. Mm-hmm. In the active heist, Jesus Christ, this is like <laughs> this is like as dense it's as like big um, setup this one. <laughs> it's yeah, just written by, just... by Namura. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, am I, am I wearing a lot of buckles in this, um, in this uh, scenario? In the active heist, Trevor has stolen a large stash of Ferraris and Rolexes designed to be given away as freebies at an indie developer press event. Mm. Okay, you must put together a video games journalist crew to storm Trevor's well-guarded compound and retrieve your rightful press event swag. Which three current or ex-colleagues would you choose to bring into the game world to complete the heist? Please note, you're selecting your three gang members on the basis of their real-life mental or physical skills (laughs) rather than their gaming ability. Is this the heist that... uh, that, um... Yuji Naka failed. Is, that, is this the heist that's gone wrong? <laughs> Maybe. Well, he did it inside the digital game world yeah. of the game gen, and now he's hiding out in Bath, having re-emerged from your yeah. own game gen console that you have reviewed. Um, you two aren't talking because uh, of the scathing review. Yeah. Um, Matthew's not happy about that. Um, 
Yeah, to be honest, I would I, I'd struggle with this. I would definitely have to bring PC Gamers Phil Savage, because if you look at us both side by side, we're beefy gents, and we often joked about forming a wrestling team when we worked together <laughs> on PC Gamer. Like, I, he would sort of like, I would sort of like push a guy towards him, and he'd like clothesline them. And we were like, that sort of energy. And I don't know, maybe I'd get on his shoulders, and he'd just throw me at another guy. And we, <laughs> we joked about that scenario. Um, yeah, and then Phil, Phil even came up with what our signature moves uh, could be. We kept, we went fairly far down that rabbit hole, so bring him. I don't really know elsewhere. I think I'd bring, like, um, uh, maybe a, <laughs> I don't really know. I've, I'd take Matthew, just because I think I'd need a bit of, like, comic relief. <laughs> Great. Um, <laughs> not not for my incredible brain power. <laughs> well, that's it. I don't know what... There are often puzzles in these GTA heists, like little minor sort of things to, to solve. I think Matthew could be the guy who's, like, on a kind of number pad trying to figure out what to do with that or trying to stop a nuclear bomb from going off or whatever happens in the heist. Uh, oh, God, one other person. God, I don't know. I used to... Uh, John Denton, who I used to work with, um, is like an MMA fighter. Um, he could beat the shit out of people. <laughs> um I bring him, I guess. There you go. I've got three people. John Denton's so, um, an MMA fighter. He, he knows, yeah. He's, um, well, he's like, I think he does like judo or something like oh, that. Wow. But he's like, wow. there's lots of pictures of him in sort of the, um, <laughs> what's it? What is the costume? I don't know. I Costume? I don't know. I'm out of <laughs> <a bit here. laughs> I was about to say robes. It's not robes. Oh, sorry, John. He's in his MMA um, robes. <laughs> <laughs> this has gone very well. Um, well, yeah, I hope that answers your question anyway. So, yeah, Matthew Matthew for his intellect and um, wisecracking. Um, Phil, because we um, can sort of do wrestling moves as a pair. And John Denton, because he's got a sort of physical uh, strength. So, um, martial arts. Exactly. It's a magazine team heist crew inside Matthew's game console. Oh, I love that. Uh, yeah, good lord, that's the yeah. What a, what a what a mad question. I enjoyed it, but it is mad. <laughs> yeah, it is. I also also maybe you should have read it out because I read it out and I was like increasingly incredulous. So I went on because I I didn't really read it before we started the episode, <laughs> and then I glanced at it as we were going, and it was like, okay, that was intense. Um, well, thank you, um, Catherine, for sitting through that. So, where can people find you on uh, social media, Catherine? Uh, so I'm on Twitter at I think I probably this again. I explained it last time. It's very confusing to say out loud, but my Twitter handle <laughs> is at Burninator, but spelt yeah. B Y R N E Inator. I really need to change it, <laughs> make it something that's a bit easier to say out loud that doesn't require me spelling it. But yes, I'm I'm there on Twitter. I'm also on Instagram, but my Instagram is only for books. So if you if you want hot video game chat, then uh, Twitter's the place to be. But if if you do want weird book recommendations, um. I'm at Carthupial, bit like marsupial, but um, with a K. <laughs> that uh, your Instagram account is rad, Catherine. That's, <laughs> people should definitely follow that. Um, just the the photography itself is very nice, and obviously the book covers you get are are beautiful. So um, yeah, that's uh, that is well worth a follow. Actually, it's uh, it's cool, um, and obviously people can read your work on rockpapershotgun.com. They can indeed. Yes, that is true. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. We're now writing about indie games as well as keyboards, yep. which um, you know <laughs> delighted about. Um, Matthew, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, at Mr. Basil underscore Pesto. I'm Samuel W. Roberts on Twitter. Um, if you'd like to leave us a review of the podcast on the platform of your choice, that'd be much appreciated. That always helps us find um, uh, new listeners, and a bunch of you have been doing that recently, which we really appreciate. And um, some of you referencing the weird in jokes of these uh, these episodes. So um, thank you for that. And uh, we'll be back next week with, I think it's the Games Court retrial next week, isn't it, Matthew? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, so um, I've been buying more bullshit on eBay, and Matthew will put me on trial with the potential of death at the end of it. So, <laughs> Oh, another public execution, can't wait. <laughs> 
But uh, thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back next week. Bye for now. あちこちに邪魔になるなら早く上れか呼んでくれあ時代に逆行時代に逆行しています哀れな男